This week on the Cream of Flex, I got a new Taylor Swift hoodie from Shelly and I love it. Gen Z is more afraid of AI than boomers. Appcast releases its 2024 recruitment benchmark report. Plus, quality of hire, why no one can figure it out. Tira with my dad and Shelly starts right now. Welcome to the Recruitment Flex with Serge and Shelly. I'm Serge. And I'm Shelly. And we talk all things recruitment starting right now. Bonjour and welcome to the Recruitment Flex. Shelly, I missed you so much last week, but (laughs) Deanna did a really good job. She did. It was fine. We survived without you for one week. Serge, you know what? I did feel a little pang of fear. When I listened to the episode with you and Deanna, and I sent her a little note. And so Deanna, shout out to you. Thank you so much. She brought a perspective that was refreshing in that she's a practitioner. She lives this every day. Like when you guys were talking about the use of criminal background checks, she brought a real life every day. Hey, this is what it's like when you're faced with You know, it's not that you don't want to attract people. It's when to disclose and what's the relevancy. So real breath of fresh air. And speaking of wonderful job. So it turned out that Chad was unavailable to record last week. And I just wanted to say what a fantastic job you did with Joel Cheeseman on the Chad and Cheese podcast. You were funny. You certainly went toe to toe with Joel Cheeseman. Yeah, that's tough. I absolutely that's did. Really you tough. went toe-to-toe with them. It was really well done. Really well done. I was so proud of you. I really appreciate that. And I think I've told you this. The first podcast that I listened to in this industry was Chat and Cheese, right? Being a guest host on their show was really an honor. It was a lot of fun. I was a little bit nervous at the start, but I got a hang of it. And Joel is just such a good broadcaster and a little bit crazy. When I looked at the topic and we're going to talk about Apple Vision Pro and porn, I was like, Oof, I'm going to need to do some research on this. <laughs> did you really? Yeah. You I'm didn't like, actually research it, did you? I did. I looked at the other VR providers and what type of porn they provide. So and tell, it left me a little scarred, to be honest. And tell me what's now happening. <laughs> Are you being served? Because when you research <laughs> these things, you're sometimes going to get served on your social media feeds. Well, I didn't physically go on sites that were like that, right? Like there were mostly okay. news articles. So maybe I got retargeted, but I get a little bit nervous if I'm starting to get ads from like you porn. I'm like, oh, maybe I shouldn't have done that. But it was a lot of fun. This weekend too was the Super Bowl. And I predicted actually yeah. on Chad and Cheese that Kansas City would win. They didn't win by the score, but that's almost impossible to predict. It was a quite a fun game. Obviously, very tight. So many celebrities. It was insane. And I wanted to ask you one thing about it. So they were showing the box of all the different celebrities. They showed the Kardashian box. And they looked so bored. Everyone was dressed in black, just sitting. There's a guy like almost sleeping. Then they pan to the Taylor Swift box, which just is having the best time of their lives. So it showcased a little contrast. bit. Of, it was a really good contrast. But it was a fun game. Did you watch it? I did. I did. And Serge, uh, the other thing I wanted to shout you out for here for a second was, you remember I asked you about getting a sound bar for my yes. TV? Yes. So I took your advice. Okay. 
and it arrived on Friday. So I had okay. it installed. And so I watched the game with my new soundbar. And thank you for that. I don't know what took me so long to buy one. Honestly, what was it a that much better for you? Oh my goodness. Yeah, it was really good. And because you're a Taylor Swift fan, so am I. Your girls are. And Taylor's lucky number, of course, is 13. And at the end of the second half, the score was 10 3. Yeah. It was 13. <laughs> when you think about all the energy in the universe, the 49ers didn't have a chance because there was every Swifty around the world channeling their energy into them winning. Like, I don't think they really had a chance. No, I don't think they did. And on that note, you came over on Sunday before the game and you mm -hmm. delivered another gift to my oldest, which was the Taylor Swift era uh, hoodie with all the tour dates and everything. She wore it to school on Monday and Aww. she wears it all the time. Your <laughs> gifts are incredible, Shelly. And obviously you had to bring something for the little girls and they're quite happy with <laughs> their Play-Doh. Play all over the floor. Oh my yeah. God. I'm so glad. I was like, bye. <laughs> See ya. I, I wanted something special for Mallory because she is doing so good with our intros. Like, And I just wanted to bring something special to thank her. She loves it, right? And she yeah. loves to brag to her friends that, oh, I'm on a podcast. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and I'm she like, is. She is. She is. She's our so own she, little celebrity. She does a really good little job. And she's she getting does. better at it, too, because we used to have to do like 40 takes to get one out. But her reading and writing is getting so good that now like she gets it. It's never more than two takes. And she's nailed it. So Mallory, thank you. We appreciate <laughs> it. Shelly, how about we jump into the news and do you want to start us off with our friends at Plum with an announcement? Yes, I love good news stories. You know me, always looking, where's the happy story that we can report on? <laughs> so Plum, which is a sponsor of the show, the company is just doing so well and their timing is just so perfect with skills and retention of employees. But Plum has experienced 230% growth over the last two years, driven by organizations adopting skill-based workforce models and seeking solutions for talent retention and workforce diagnostics. Now, that's the official line. Yeah. You and I know that when you hire the right people at the right time and let them be great at what they do, I know that sounds almost, I don't know, unicorns and rainbows, but seriously, when you look at the decisions that Plum made two years ago, this is not an overnight success. It is bringing on the right people at the right time. So not surprised they've had numerous awards through the last two, three years, making sure that they had presence and really good branding. And I think most importantly, they really listen to what the market was telling them. Did yeah, I miss anything, Serge? <laughs> no, they built an amazing brand, right? If you look at the companies in our space that other companies are looking at being like, hey, we want to be like them. And I think you nailed it. Obviously, Plum has been around for 10 years. Where was the big change when I'll shut out Jason Putnam that came on board around two years ago and really put this on overdrive? And obviously the team that he's brought and the other people they've hired, mm -hmm. like we've met most of them. 
and they are all fantastic people. They're fantastic at what they do, and they're very passionate about this industry. Also, in the press release, they announced they secured $6 million in new funded and onboarded high-profile clients like Deloitte, Sinoas Health, and WEG Transformers USA. Congratulations to our friends at Plum. Keep on growing so you can spend more money on the recruitment flex. <laughs> right. Next in the news here that I think is newsworthy is kind of a myth buster. The idea that baby boomers are the ones to be freaked out by AI and AI is going to steal our job. But in fact, it is Gen Z that are more afraid of AI taking their jobs compared to older workers, which, okay, when you stop and think about it, the fact is Gen Z has never seen the advent of something so significant. Yeah. They're too young to have seen what we've seen, you know, yeah. like even the iPhone, what it meant to us in the professional working world. But if you're seeing this for the first time, yeah, they're pretty freaked out. And that is 18 to 24 year olds are really nervous about what AI is going to do. And rightfully so, because AI is going to do a lot of the mundane and simple tasks that normally that generation cut your teeth on. Yes. I think some of the key things that I saw, and if we go through the stats that you just mentioned, so 30% of respondents age 18 to 24 expressing fear, while only 15% of those over 45 are showing those same fears, which goes exactly to your point. But we have come through many different things. Like you have seen the advent of the personal computer. We have both seen the advent of the internet. Think about when computers were initially built. It was before my time, but I'm sure it scared a lot of people in the workplace that'd be like, well, we're going to replace typewriters with computers. And what are these emails? Like, yeah, a big shift. Then you take the internet. Like, has there been a bigger shift in our generation or all generations than the internet? Then, as you mentioned, the iPhone or mobile. Mobile was the next big thing. And mm -hmm. some of the millennials saw the advent of mobile to what it is today, but they haven't really seen it at the same level. AI is the first big disruptor that they've ever seen. At the same time, Gen Z has not really seen a recession you think about the last recession being in 2008. So I don't blame them. When you don't know what you don't know and there's uncertainty, it's going to make you nervous. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to give you this advice for all the Gen Zs, all right? This is a little bit of elderly advice. You should not be worried about it because over the years, technology has done the opposite. It's actually created more jobs. Yeah, I wouldn't be worried about it, but it was interesting to think that baby boomers don't care or gen x doesn't care mm -hmm. yeah the other thing we only have got 15 20 years until we're retired we don't have a full career and god knows how quickly it's going to change for gen z and the millennials yeah for sure talking about change shelly one of the big change that happened over the last 20 years is a lot of these regional news outlets being acquired by the big telecom companies here in Canada. And we saw something very similar across the world. Initially, it made probably a lot of sense. You're taking a lot more resources and more money and you're pumping into these regional news outlets, hopefully to give the end user a better experience, better news. 
But that has not happened. And something that happened this week has caused a lot of controversy. So Bell Canada, who I think is our biggest telecom player in, in Canada, there's Bell, Telus, and Rogers. They announced that they're cutting 4,800 jobs. It caused controversy for a couple of reasons. A lot of those jobs that were lost were in the media. So local news media, and I know there's a lot of talk about mainstream media, but growing in a very small town, our local news was so critical to us, right? It's what creates community in a lot of ways is that local news. And unfortunately, a lot of those jobs were cut from radio stations, different newspapers, 4,800 jobs for a company that saw their revenue increase, not a whole lot, but 0.5%. What was your initial take seeing this, Shelley? So I know there's more to the story. Yeah. Because the local news and can it support local news, but it's almost regrets because the CBC, which was our national news program, being sliced off slowly but surely, if you want to maintain local news networks, you really need kind of an overall national strategy. Yeah, And when you put it in the hands of private industry, it is going to come down to dollars and cents. It really will. So it really is a shame. I, I guess what kind of miffed me a bit about this article is that Bell Canada was saying that the government, among other factors, was unsupportive. Yeah, no kidding. If it was meant to be a government program, then keep it a government program rather than privatize it or whatever happened historically, right? Part of me says if they're looking to save, because they said it's going to save between 150 and 200 million a year, which is what percentage of 6.47 billion? Is that really the issue? You know what? They're a for-profit business. So I guess you make decisions that if it makes no economical sense, you don't just keep feeding it, right? Yes, I get that. But this is when they came to acquire these companies, there was a lot of regulation concerns, right? These were all concerns that were brought up by the CRTC, which is our governing body for communications here in Canada, that, hey, all of these were being run, they were local. What happens if you acquire all of these, then you start closing them down? And there was a certain limit of time of when they could do layoffs and how they could do layoffs. But obviously, they felt this was the right timing. We're seeing the dismantling of news. And I'm not 100% sure that we can get the news that we want from the Twitters or X of the world and Facebook. I think we can both agree that I'm not 100% sure that's always accurate. Not saying that the mainstream news is always accurate, but at least we've got real journalism doing real researching and reporting. Shelly, how about we jump into the tip of the week? Okay. So your tip of the week is brought to you by Plum. Oh, we just talked about them. (laughs) (laughs) Plum knows that when people flourish, businesses thrive. Using science-backed insights, Plum aligns human potential with job needs, allowing you to build high-performing teams from a single platform. Ideal for improving hiring choices, identifying future leaders, and offering personalized career advice, Plum supports the entire employee journey from hire to retire. Discover more at Plum.io. So let's talk about the tip of the week. Metrics. 
Okay, everybody, before you fast forward out of this section of the podcast, there's some really interesting ways of looking at metrics. And I'd like to leave you with a couple of things here. I'd like to start with what is the problem you are trying to solve? And asking yourself, first of all, what is the problem? So is the problem improving candidate engagement? If that's the problem, what are some of the possible metrics that you should be considering? There's candidate engagement score, your application conversion rates, and average hiring manager response time. That seems pretty straightforward to me because especially the application conversion rate, it's really easy. You know that they intended to apply. And if they're having a crappy experience navigating through your nine pages of applying on your applicant tracking system, then you've got a metric that actually shows it. Another question is, are you looking to expand your talent network? So again, these are metrics, meaning that you've got some thought about the future of your organization and, and the talent that you need to attract. So some of those possible metrics would be candidate engagement scores, number of employee referrals, and source of hire. Because if you know where your source of hire is, then you know where to expand. Yeah. So the last one, and this is debatable, and I think we could have a whole episode on this particular metric, because there's a lot of controversy out there. And that is, are you trying to fill roles quickly? Yeah. If that is the one problem you're trying to solve, measuring time to hire may be the metric to consider. I would say you need to ask yourself a few more why questions before making that decision. Why do you need to fill them more quickly? Because I think it's symptomatic of many other things. So that is my tip of the week is start with why. The last one, time to hire, it's a really interesting one. I think we could spend a lot more time. But in the case of high volume hiring, time to hire is still very relevant, but I don't think it's relevant across the board. So Just for the audience to know, we actually took this out of the 2024 Recruitment Effectiveness Planning Kit that is available at Jobvite. Go download it. There's a ton of great resources. I spent quite Mm -hmm. a bit of time reading it, but pulled it from there. Shelly, it's time for our recruiting insights. And our recruiting insights is brought to you by Metova. Shelly, are you tired of the same old outsourcing woes? Well, say hello to nearshoring. It's like outsourcing, but closer, and it won't make you pull your hair out. Picture this, top-notch IT talent from Latin America. Many Latin American IT professionals have strong English language skills and even live in the same time zone, so no more midnight conference calls. Hallelujah. Plus, Latin America's growing tech ecosystem, strong educational institutions, and a pool of skilled IT professionals make it the perfect region for recruiting talent. I have the perfect company that does this. The company's name is Metova. They have local experts who handle everything from recruiting to HR support. So why settle for the same old outsourcing blues when you can have the nearshoring party with Metova? Look them up at mitova.com and let's get the fiesta started. Shelly, every year we wait very patiently for AppCast's recruiting benchmark report. And it came out two weeks ago and I didn't get a chance to cover it last week. 
So everyone definitely go to appcast.io and we'll include the link in the show notes so you guys can find it. I did want to highlight some of the key findings from this report and it's it's around 30 slides. It's a real worthwhile read if you are in talent acquisition or mm-hmm. if you're selling to talent acquisition, you're in the industry. There is just so many nuggets because of the amount of jobs that AppCast actually processed. So this was analyzed with job ad data from over 1,300 U.S. employers, and it studied 379 million clicks and 30.5 million applies. So there is a ton of data here. I'm just going to cover the key points. The CPA, so cost per application, actually fell to $19.40 at the end of 2023. That's down almost 30% from 2022. So we've been talking about this. This decline is a direct result of a cooling labor market, and there is less options for job seekers out there. We had Andrew Flowers on the show probably a couple months ago, isn't a month ago, it's just it's been flying by. And one of the things that he talked about is that he was expecting the labor market to be beige, stable and boring. And if we look more in depth, there's a couple of things that have been really on the opposite side of that. So job seeker action picked up as we're seeing way higher apply rates, which is interesting. The other thing that really shocked me here is mobile applies, they decrease from 67% to 62%. And we actually saw an increase in desktop applies. So people actually going in their desktop and applying for jobs. And obviously, these are most of the knowledge worker jobs. But I did not expect this trend ever to go the opposite way. We've seen years of mobile just increasing every year and to take a 5% drop this year definitely tells me there's something different in this market itself. This one is really interesting to me. So increased labor force participation, particularly among females and immigrants. Apply rates rose across the board, except for gig jobs. Overall, reading this report, anything that shocked you, Shelly? Boy, you covered it all. I covered a lot in there. There's a lot more. I I just touched all the good stuff. But that is the nuggets. You absolutely captured the nuggets. And something that I was surprised that we're still talking about is job titles. Yes. You know, the standardization of job titles, like what you call a an analyst in one industry should be an analyst in another. But that is the first thing that job seekers see is yeah. the job title. And, and I still can't believe that after all these years, we're still talking about don't try and zhuzh up the job title. Don't. <laughs> is zhuzh, is that French or what is it? I've never is heard it, that. Is zhuzh French? Well, yeah. I think it well, is, but I've never used it. <laughs> I mean, that was the only thing that I can't, I can't believe we're still talking about this, right? Yeah, it actually showed in one of the slides the difference between word counts and what the response rate was by those word counts. So definitely you have to check that out. The other thing that I thought was really interesting that we haven't spent much time with is how different the apply rates 
in every industry they are. Obviously, I just gave you like the average, but there is a big difference between the industries of how much you pay for a click compared to other industries, which is something that you have to be aware of. So obviously, you want to take these numbers and look at it at a high level. But if you are in healthcare, if you are in construction, those rates are completely different than the average itself. And it's exactly what we've been talking about. And this came from Atcast when we're talking about standing up and sending down jobs. The standing up jobs are completely different than mm-hmm. what we're seeing in tech in those sectors that basically are knowledge workers. So good job, AppCast. Again, fantastic report. We will have it in the show notes. You need to go check it out. Next yeah. recruitment insight. We talk about the pivot and when in your career someone is going to make a pivot, like a career change. And I know we talked about it. I think two, three weeks ago, if you're a recruitment marketer, you want to look at where you can pluck people out of, like who's most likely to quit and change and find a different job. I found this list, some of the most successful career changes that people make and what industries are they coming from or where are they going to? So some of the fastest growing industries as far as places to look. Healthcare is no secret. I mean, if you're a recruiter, formerly in tech, you might want to look at healthcare. (laughs) E-commerce, interestingly enough, shipping and delivery, 3D printing, artificial intelligence, personal care. This I found surprising, travel and hospitality, depending on where you sit within that industry or getting into that industry. It'd be a great second career for a lot of people to get into travel and hospitality. Residential commercial construction and video marketing is still on the rise. Yeah. Where would you pivot to, Serge? Out of this list, if you were going to pivot into a different industry, knowing what we know, from this list, is there anything that you think, you know what, there's something I could pivot to? None of these. I was looking at all of them and there's none that excite me that I want to spend my day and night in it. And a lot of people would say artificial intelligence, but man, artificial intelligence is going to be so congested with people and Mm -hmm. different ideas, just going to be such a noisy space for the next five to 10 years. And it moves so quickly, right? There is going to be so much movement that there won't be a lot of consistency. There won't be a lot of predictability with it. And as you're looking at career, you want some consistency, you want some predictability. So I'm not saying not to go into artificial intelligence, but it's not as exciting as a career choice that a lot of people would perceive. Just not for me anyways. The one that is not on this list that I would probably pivot to because I think there's going to be such a high need for is cybersecurity. And we've heard all the stories. We know how much in demand this role is. And if I'm going to be pivoting my career in my 40s, I want to make sure that it's going to be work that gets paid well because... After you hit 40, you're in the prime earning years of your career and you want to make sure that you're maximizing that. And cybersecurity is a good place to be, in my opinion. So that's one of them. But honestly, if I could pivot my career, I'd do none of this. I would go and be the general manager of the Montreal Canadiens as my dream job. 
<laughs> I don't think they would hire me, but hey, we can all try to pivot. Shelly, I want to pitch in one last recruiting insight. So our friend, Mary Faulkner, who's been on the show before, recently released an article on ERE.net saying, is quality of hire a real metric? And I guess what she calls out here is it's so hard to measure across the board. And are we doing a good job at it? When you're looking at it, that makes it even more difficult is there is a lot of subjectivity to it. I could say you're a great hire and the other person next to me thinks you're a horrible hire, depending on their experience with you and say they manage you and you weren't at top of your game. And when I manage you, you were at top of the game or you were in a role that was a way better fit for you. The other thing that factors into it is like, you know, this Shelly better than anyone else. There is a lag in performance measures. Like You think about most organization. You look at the performance review templates, it's like everyone meets expectation because when you start putting a seed expectations, that means you're going to have to pay more money because we have tied our performance reviews with pay increase, which we can have a whole show around that. Mm -hmm. The other thing that happens is the data accuracy. Most organizations have a mistrust for their own internal data, and there's many reasons for that, right? How are we qualifying? If the data is accurate, especially when it comes to the quality of an individual, like how are we measuring them? How are we measuring them next to their peers? The majority of the time, that is just not happening. There are so many moving parts to this whole quality of higher discussion that I don't think anyone's figured out. And I'm still very conscious when we talk about quality of higher of should you be measuring it? Can you be measuring it? And for most organizations, I don't believe they have the sophistication to really measure it in a way that makes sense. I've seen it in many different ways, right? Like after 90 days, there is a survey that is sent to the hiring manager saying, are they performing? And it's based on the net promoter score type of template. And the same goes to the job seeker. But that really didn't give me anything because the net promoter scores that I got from the hiring manager, even if they were maybe mediocre, was still really high. And vice versa from the job seeker as well, because like I'm in the job, I'm not going to give our hiring manager a, a shitty score, right? The other way we've measured it in the past is how long have they been there? If they've been there a year, that's a quality higher. Or they've been there five years, that's a quality higher. So I guess the question here is, I still don't know how to measure quality of hire. Should we just give up and not even worry about quality of hire? Do you know, I'm going to say something here, Serge, that someone told me years ago that you can tell the quality of an individual by the first day of work and their last day of work. What I mean by that is someone who comes in and they are prepared they're, and they're ready and they're taking notes. Think about it, Serge. Like how many times have you had someone start and on their first day they seemed meh? Yeah. And it stayed that way. I know there's no way to measure it, but you're right. If we look at the first 90 days, most hiring managers are reluctant to say you're not giving somebody a fair chance. But I think most hiring managers know in the first 30 days if it's the right hire. 
And I think in recruitment, we have this unique opportunity to ask the question, like before we even go to market, how do you define success in this role in the first 90 days? So you're setting a realistic expectation. Yeah. And then you have something to measure because you told me before we even went to market, what are the measures? Like you, I think net promoter score has really fallen out of style, mostly for the reasons you just cited. I believe that if we were to take and set the standard before you went to market, before you hired somebody, that's what they're measured against. It's pretty simple. Too simple? I don't know. Here is the advice that Mary gave in this article, and I think a lot of it makes sense. So quality of hire, you're not just measuring one thing, and I think that's where we fall, right? You're measuring many different things and making decisions from that. Her advice, I think this goes to what you just said, is define quality for your organization, all right? This is one time that you have to lean into, I guess, that subjectivity a little bit because you need to define what is a quality employee. Like these need to be accepted by the executives. This is not something as a recruiter and be like, okay, this is a good quality hire. This is the metric that we're going to go. So you need to define what quality means for your organization. The second thing that she mentioned is then you start prioritizing which data indicates moving towards that definition. You could look at like your turnover during certain time periods or performance measures. You're taking all of these moving pieces and putting together and defining what that quality of hire means. Establishing a reliable data intake process. I think that's a big issue in talent acquisition and HR. Mm -hmm. Like I know I've been there, right? I've been trying to get data internally coming into a talent acquisition department and be like, how has this been measured? And then it takes me like two weeks to get the data I need because I'm trying to go into Workday or Oracle and I cannot pull what I need because I don't have the permission and I need to go talk to the data or the IT team and it takes them two weeks to pull the data. Get to a point that you know exactly the data you want to pull and get it on a consistent level. And there's definitely providers out there that can help you get there. This is not a set and forget it. This is you keep evaluating and validating that the measures that you have put in place are actually real. Still, even with all of that, I think it's all really good advice, but I can't confidently say that if you do all of that, you're going to have a real quality of hiring measure that is comparable across the industries. You're going to have to build this on your own and change and adjust based on what your company need is. That's my thoughts anyway, Shelly. So do you know what's interesting is that drive to compare yourself to others when I think organizations who mm. have defined quality and they know what a quality hire is, they don't feel the need to say, oh, our quality of hire is 98%. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what? They just know it. And I think it's the fascination to say, what is an industry standard, right? You don't. I think what only matters is what matters to you in your organization. Yeah. And in your TA team, right? Define it yourself and live up to it. I love the continuous improvement thinking as well. Yeah, you should look at it. It's a similar advice that we give to people implementing AI tools. You got to keep validating those results consistently mm -hmm. and taking a look at it. It's not a set it and forget it type of approach because that will not work. 
on that note, Shelly, couple things. I made the announcement on Chat and Cheese, mm-hmm. but I should have done it on this podcast. What the hell am I doing? So we will be the co-MCs mm-hmm. for TA Tech in Washington, D.C. at the start of June, and we'll get more details on that. So you should be getting your ticket. Uh, next week, I'm speaking at the Canadian Recruiter Networking Group, sold out crowd here in Calgary. Do you have anything going on that you want to share? Nothing. I'll just be there to cheer you on. I think 109 of our closest friends in talent acquisition, and they're all showing up to hear what you have to say. No pressure, Serge. Listen, I'll be there cheering you on. Good. It's good to have someone having my back. So I appreciate that. For the audience, thank you for listening. We'll see you next week. Thank you. Au revoir. Shelly, let's face it. Texting candidates is the easiest way to hire quicker today. But your cell phone doesn't connect to your ATS. You're sharing your personal number with strangers. That's pretty scary, right, Shelly? And Mm. it's not even legally compliant. Mm, This is where our friends at Rectex come in. They've created simple yet powerful text recruiting software that works with your ATS. Plus, it's designed by recruiters for recruiters. So you know it works. To learn more and book a demo, visit www.rectxt.com. Mention the Recruitment Flex and get 10% off annual plans. Have you ever found yourself scrolling through financial news and wondering, how does any of this affect me? How can I read a major headline and truly understand what impact that has on not only my portfolio, but my life? Well, our goal on the podcast Inside the Street, hosted by Wall Street analyst Sela Shifre Partners, is to provide public investors and young professionals with a deeper understanding of the mechanics that drive those major headlines. And what better way to dive into these mechanics than hosting Wall Street analysts themselves to discuss the newest trends in finance firsthand? Well, on our show, we bring you real perspectives from the front line. Hearing these analysts give commentary has made our listeners much more well-versed on the financial markets. This approach to discussion allows our listeners to engage in conversation with much more educated opinions and predictions. So be sure to check out our show, Inside the Street, wherever you find your podcasts.